Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Apologize that you had me for 25 minutes in Sunday school. Now you're going to have me uh, delivering the word today. So hopefully I won't take up too much of your time. But I am thankful that you're all here, Brother Metters. It's good to see you. And I believe the Lord has something he'd like to say to all of us today, me included. Uh, I do have a lot of scripture to read. So if you could just stand for prayer uh, to bless the word, we'll do that. And then I'll just read and you guys can have a seat. How about that? I won't keep you standing for all my scripture, and I may not read it all, I may jump, but uh, I'll tell you where it's located so you can try to follow along, but let's go ahead and pray. I know we've had a good worship service, but let's see what the Lord is going to do in this place. Let's invite him to talk to us. Jesus, Lord, I pray over this word right now, God, Lord, that you'll be able to allow me to read, Lord, and be able to speak how you will want me to speak, God, to deliver this word that you have for these people today. Lord, I'm thankful for every heart and soul that's in here. God, I ask that you would use me, Lord, as your vessel, God, to speak to this church and help us in the time that we are in right now. In the name of Jesus, bless this word and bless these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you would like to know, and I'm sure most of you would, I'm going to be talking out of 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. Now, does anybody have even an, almost an inkling of what I'm going to be talking about when I say 1 Samuel 17? David, there you go. Hey, coming from David, how about that? <laughs> um, but, we're going to be talking about David a little bit. Maybe. We'll, we'll find out. I don't want to give too much away, but I will go ahead and throw in my title here today. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be preaching on the topic of a stone thrower in the midst. So that'll give you something to think about for a minute. Uh, but I will begin reading just to lay a background of the story that is very, very popular for all of us. And that is a story of David and Goliath. So in starting reading in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented him himself 40 days. Does anybody know who that is talking about? Can anybody tell me who that verse is talking about? Just scream it out. It says, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening. Goliath. Goliath. There you go. Everybody say Goliath. Goliath. Say he's tall. He's strong, strong. and he's mean. mean. All right, that's Goliath. There we go. We know who he is. And then, continuing in verse 17, it says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry this, these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. How many's hungry for some parched corn, bread, and cheese? Sounds all right. It sounds okay. All right. You know, maybe they could have had some like beef jerky or something. You know, but if I was on the battlefield fighting a war against the Philistines day after day for however long, I I would probably take anything you'd give me. So, 
And he goes on to say, Now Saul and they, all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse, who was his father, had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, the man we talked about earlier. How many remember? He's tall. He's mean. He's strong. I couldn't remember exactly how I said it earlier, but you get the just. He's a big old dude. All right? And as David talked with them, Goliath comes up out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. How many know that those words were a challenge to the army of Israel, saying, if you defeat me, you've defeated the whole army. I'm the champion. If you take me out, we'll back down. All right? But if not, we're going to smear you on the ground. That's basically how it's going to happen. That's what he said. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel? Is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know what that sounds like there to me? It sounds like that David had tunnel vision, that as that giant stepped out onto that battlefield, he wasn't caring what his brothers and his friends on the battlefield were saying. He was staring right at the champion of the Philistines. Even so much, he wasn't hearing what they were saying, and they had to repeat exactly what they had, what they had just said so he would know what King Saul was going to reward the man that killed him. It sounded like he had tunnel vision. He was staring at the enemy, surmising how he would Take him down, I'm sure. And in verse 27, it says, And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Basically just repeating what they just said. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What, I have, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. So now I'll kind of paraphrase a little bit. Saul hears about what David is saying, talking about going out there and taking care of the champion of the Philistines. David is talking about getting it done, and Saul hears about it, and David runs to Saul, and, and he goes up to them, and he tells him about how he's going to destroy Goliath, and Saul questions him because of his age. But 
David has a place that he can speak from, a place in which a lion and a bear had come at time to take one of his sheep and he fought them off by himself and saved the sheep and saved himself and slayed the beasts that were trying to take the sheep herd. So Saul begins to prepare him for battle, gives him his helmet, gives him his armor, gives him some mail, gives him a sword, but it would not fit David for he was not Saul. He was not the same size as Saul. And honestly, he was completely different than Saul. And if you know the story, just the chapter before, when Samuel goes to anoint someone in the house of Jesse, God tells Samuel that he's no longer looking for someone like Saul, someone that is beautiful and and tall and stands out above everybody else. He's looking into someone's heart to find what is in their soul. That is what, what allows him to use them. And that is how he found David. So, basically, and it goes on, and I'll just read one more verse just to kind of give us context because we all remember exactly what is about to happen. And that's verse 40, and it says, And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So we all know what's about to go down. Um, but that'll be it for the scripture for now. But if you want to keep that open for reference, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to have mine open. But what an astounding story of good prevailing over evil. Probably one of the most famous Bible stories that most of the population of the world could tell you and even recognize in the names of David and Goliath and maybe have never even stepped into church or even been to a Sunday school class. David and Goliath, the story is extremely wildly popular. It is, in my mind, a picture. I have this memory of owning a David and Goliath army guy playset when I was a kid. My mom got it from a Lifeway Christian bookstore, and it had an assortment of Philistine soldiers, Goliath, some bushes. It had the Israelites, and it had little old David with a sling. All right? So I had this memory of in my mom's apartment floor in the hallway. I stood up the Philistines in array against the Israelites. I had the, I had the big dude over here on the bad guy side, and then I had the little guy with the sling over here on the good guy side, and I had the soldiers in a semicircle behind David because he was about to slay Goliath. And then, in my imagination, I played out what I thought 1 Samuel chapter 17 should, went, should have went with a little dash of pizzazz, a little bit of my imagination. And, and just before David could send that stone into the giant skull, as the Bible tells us, Lightning McQueen, my little toy car, would show up with his best pal, Toe Mater, and, and McQueen would blind him with his lightning sticker. Ka-chow! Goliath wouldn't know what was going on. He'd stumble back, and then out of nowhere, Toe Mater's toe hook would come in, grab Goliath, pull him down, and a hot wheel would pull up. David would hop in, drive over to Goliath, and boom, cuts his head off. That, that was how it went for me. I know that's not how the Bible portrays it, but in, this is like 2008, 2007, when Cars come out, I was obsessed with that movie. And this, this is how I, I wanted to play out 1 Samuel chapter 17. But that is not how the story goes. But I, I digress, so. <clears throat> uh, who else but someone like David to hear the words of the Philistine champion and be moved to action? Who else to do the king's job but the one to become king? Because truth be told, it should have been Saul when 
Goliath stood up and challenged the armies of Israel, the armies of the living God. He should have stood up as king. And knowing if he had had God with him, he could have took down Goliath. But it was also him who quivered and quaked in the trenches of the Israelite army. David, just a shepherd boy who a chapter before, which is just a page turn for us, but could have been years for them, was anointed by Saul, not for his height or his stature, which... If you look, he is described as ruddy and beautiful to look to. Ruddy just meaning full of life. His skin was red because he was so full of life and ready to go. It was his heart that Samuel was turned to when God decided that it was no more what people look like. It was what was in their heart is what he chose people by. David learned how to take care of his sheep. He learned how to tend to his father's business. And as we learned in our text, he had no issue standing up to enemies in his world. As he told us in chapter 17, he had no problem taking down the lion and no problem taking down the bear. Jesse called up David to go and feed his brethren. And David was no stranger to the battlefield, but David had yet to hear the call of the giant on the battlefield. Today, it is the corn and the bread. It's the trenches that I would like to turn your attention to. The trenches which the Israelites hid in, and then the parched corn and the bread that Jesse provided for his sons. Food, if you will agree with me for a second, food and humanity have had a unique relationship from the beginning of them both. In the garden, Adam had all he needed and Eve, his companion, had all she needed. Together in the garden, which is where you grow food, they dwelt peacefully. But it was also fruit off a tree that destroyed the covering upon their bodies and brought sin into the world. And now, when life's got me down, you know what I do? I go eat a cookie. Alright? When I'm feeling sad, if there's cake in the fridge, I can eat a piece of cake. And I'm feeling like a 95 out of 100. Anybody else right there with me? All right. Just, I'm not even kidding. I've got to the point lately where I like food so much that I feel like I've got to do a little dance when I eat. One time we made a oven-baked pull-apart monkey bread. And I ate like half of it after it was fresh. And I was dancing the whole time I was eating it. Because you know what food does? It makes us happy. It, it's become comfort in our lives. When we're feeling sad, when, when people die, when we, go to the, when we get sick, you know what people do? They send you food because food makes you happy. Somebody, I come home from work and Bethany has dinner prepared because I know that she had to take time out of her day to, to get Corbin to be good long enough that she could prepare a meal. That makes me happy because she sacrificed for me and she's also feeding me. I love that. All right? I love food. It makes me happy. We have a relationship with food, all right? The food's never called me up and been like, hey, you know, we need to take a break, all right? Food's never done that to me, all right? Food's never asked, asked me for money, okay? Food's never made me run out of gas, all right? Food has always taken care of me. So food is comfort for us. And honestly, it's no surprise to me that Jesse, the father of the three men on the battlefield, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, he would send them food while they were out fighting, okay? It's no surprise to me that Jesse, the father, would send his boys food. 
because you know what we do when someone's down? We send them food. We covered that. When there's a funeral, we send them food. On Valentine's Day, you send your honey chocolate. You, send, you get your wife chocolate. You get them food. You can even go as far to get them fruit baskets. And they even go down and they cut these little fruits into hearts and stars and, and circles. And, and nothing says, I love you, like a watermelon shaped into little hearts and little chocolate-dipped strawberries except for when it gets lost in the mail and then it comes to their house and it's just full of gnats and brown fruit two weeks after Valentine's Day. But Jesse, being the father, sent food. He sent comfort. How many have been in a place recently where you needed comfort? I've been in a place where I've needed comfort in my life. As humanity, we need comfort and we can find that in food. And I couldn't imagine how happy Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah were at the sight of homemade bread from Daddy's house. They were out fighting. They were out in the trenches hiding from Goliath, hiding from the Philistines, fighting day to day, covered in blood, covered in dirt, because that's just the gruesome of war at that time. How many know that one day you maybe smelt that bread that took them to a flashback of being young, sitting at the dinner table with, the, with the, all their seven other brothers than the son and and they smell that bread and maybe mama cooked it or daddy cooked it however they just it it brought them comfort while they were fighting against the philistines soon to go in array against the enemy surely fear and angst had gripped them but daddy knew what his boys would need in a hard time in their life i'll tell you what church i'm thankful for the times that I've had a father who could take care of me. I'm thankful for a God who loved me for who I am. When I felt hurt, when I felt unaccepted, when pain entered my life, God was exactly what I needed when I needed Him, when I called upon Him, because God will never leave us. When we leave God, we will find Him right where we left Him. And I'll tell you today, God has a plan for your life. How many have experienced the greatness of our God? How many can testify the times when you didn't deserve it, but God did it anyway? When nothing was going right, He wasn't doing you wrong. He knew exactly what we needed before we needed it. And Jesse knew that his boys were going to need what he sent to them. He knew they were going to need that nutrients to fight in the fight for the Lord. And for centuries, armies have, when not in battle or in preparation for battle, have dug in and made trenches which are like walkways or even holes in the ground oftentimes connected through a network in which troops can move underground out of the sight of the enemy and move supplies and move soldiers and then when it's time for battle they can jump up seemingly out of nowhere on the horizon and and get to where they need to go and that's kind of like what was going on here and and if you look in history in world war one and world war two sticking your head out of the trench too early could kind of sniper bullets kind of like a magnet to that kind of thing you do that you, you better watch out you never know what's coming when you stick your head out of the trench too early but david finds his brothers in the trench and the trench was a season that they had found themselves in when they were in distress and they needed somewhere that they could safely retreat to. 
I'm thankful, church, for a place that I can dig in and, and be safe, hidden in the shadow of the Lord. I'm thankful for the bread that comforts me. I'm thankful for the corn that comforts me. I'm thankful for the Spirit that comforts me. If you didn't get it yet, I'm, I'm comparing these things that Jesse sent because he sent them the bread. He sent them the parched corn. David brought this to them and they found them in the trench in a place where they were momentarily hiding from the war that was raging on. Proverbs 18 and 19 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. In a place of grief, there is a trench for the moment. In a place of depression, there is a trench for safety for a season. In a place of pain, there is bread on the way. In a place of hurt, there is corn on the way. From the Father's house comes grace and mercy exactly when we need it. And many times it comes in the form we do not expect it to. Surely I can stay forever in this trench, safe out of the sight of the enemy. Goliath can come every day however he wants to, but he'll never reach me in this trench. But trenches were made for momentary seasons of protection. Complacency in a trench can cause trench foot, which can lead to loot the loss of your limbs forever. Even going too long without looking out for where the enemy is could cause an ambush or have the enemy overrun you in a place you thought was safe. You see, there's times when we can stand still and see the glory of God and we can live off that bread and we can live off that corn from the Father. But then there is also times when we have to go forward and we have to get out of the trench and get away from where we have been stuck for too long. We have to get to a place where we don't let the enemy... The voice of the enemy terrify us anymore. There's a time when we've got to go and God tells us to move. And there is now a call from God saying, I have sent you bread when you felt defeated. I've sent you parched corn for energy to outlast the enemy. I have given you refuge on the battlefield. Do not let an uncircumcised Philistine keep you scared in the trench. Just as Jesse gave unto His boys, God has given unto us. We have been taken care of while we've been trying to figure things out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In moments of hurt, when we have been complacent, God has not removed His hedge of protection or His angels from us. But it's not the bread that's going to sustain us. It wasn't the bread that was going to sustain Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. It wasn't the parched corn, and it definitely was not King Saul. It was the shepherd boy who had been anointed. It was the ruddy young man who had seen the lion and the bear face to face. It was the boy who had the stones in his satchel. The brother who was the least of the eight. The youngest born of Jesse. But Jesse sealed the fate of that giant when he sent not just the corn, not just the bread, when he sent a stone thrower in the midst of that care package into the battlefield with permission to take the pledge that his brothers had taken and pledged to fight. While the brothers had become weary in the fight and needed a trench to rest in and bread from daddy to keep them going, I'll tell you, church, there was a stone thrower in the midst. 
while also the bread would give them energy and the corn would keep them going. Not only were they sent those goods, but Jesse, the father, made the decision to send his son, David. And there was now a stone thrower in the midst of the children of Israel, in the midst of the armies of Israel. Surely David could wield a sword. And surely he could carry a shield like any man on that battlefield. Maybe he could have gone toe-to-toe with anyone on that battlefield. But it was his unique skill set as a shepherd that allowed him to offset the power that was the giant Goliath. While the soldiers were distracted by the cry of the enemy, they did not even realize that victory had stepped onto the battlefield. We have been fighting and we have been sustained by God in what I would call today a trench. A place in which we've been safe. A place where we haven't seen growth but we have not seen loss either. Where we've been watching how the enemy has been arraying themselves and planning our strategy all the while there has been a stone thrower in our midst. When Eliab was getting mad at his brother, he did not know he was getting mad at a stone thrower. He did not know he was getting mad at someone that had already dealt with a lion and dealt with a bear who could take a sling and spin it up to 200 miles an hour and direct it with hair point accuracy at whatever he wanted to target. 1 Samuel 17.45 Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. I'll tell you what, church, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost today, you are a stone thrower. Because the name of the Lord is upon us, and in His name is victory, and His name is defeat to all that oppose Him, Jesse the father sent David with the bread and with the corn, but it was David himself that had the key to the victory. It was in the midst of that care package that David the stone thrower was there who knew how to go find the perfect stones to take out exactly what the army was fighting against. Jesse sent David with the bread. He sent David with the corn. But it was also him who allowed his son to go and take care of what needed to be done. Church, I believe today the devil needs to be reminded of how Harvest House is a force to be reckoned with. We need to remind the enemy that what happens when Harvest House gets together and prays. We need to remind the enemies that when we pray, mountains move, strongholds are destroyed, families are set free, and addictions break. It's time we remind the devil that there is a stone thrower in this building. It's time we remind the devil that there is a stone thrower in the Autry family. That there is a stone thrower in the Hackney family. There is a stone thrower in the Meadows family. While we've been living on bread and in the trench, there is a stone thrower here today. God knew exactly what He was doing when He called us to this church. He said they may not know it yet, but when they get to the battlefield, everything that they have been through is preparing them to throw that stone and take out the enemy that is in their way. David, he fought his battles and he fought his wars on on the back on the backfields with the sheep herd. But it was him who was the stone thrower in the midst of the army, the one who would take out Goliath. Now, I'll tell you this. First Samuel 17, 28, 29, I'm going to read that again. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You know what, church? I believe this is the voice of the enemy to us today. You know, what it, you know what the enemy is trying to do to us? It's trying to belittle the call on this church and the call on each person in this room. It's saying to us, why do you even come down here? With whom have thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You know what he's doing? He's, he's calling the sheep herd of his fathers a few sheep. He's belittling what David has been trying to take care of. He's saying words like so few, so less. With those sheep in the wilderness, he's trying to make it sound like what David has been doing is unimportant. But actually what it was, it was preparing the army of Israel for victory that day. Because if David did not have a sheep herd to take care of, he would not have been the great king that he was. It taught him diligence when no one was looking. It gave him integrity when he was by himself. It let him take out some things in his life that had to be destroyed. It let him learn how to take that sling and find the right stone out of any brook that was in that back country. And he knew exactly what he would need because he didn't go for any old stone. He didn't go for any old rock. He got smooth stones because over time he perfected what he did. It was his art. It was his skill set. Eliab... Speaking to David is how the enemy is speaking to us today, questioning our motives, questioning what we're doing, questioning our numbers. Because the enemy does not want us to realize who we are. The enemy is saying, if, if, if they pray, I can't stop them. If, if they fill that bag with stones, I'm finished. The enemy doesn't want Harvest House to realize who it is. The enemy does not want anyone in this room to realize who you are and what God has done for you, and where you can go with God. So, as I bring this to a close, as I had no intentions at all today to be any sort of long, the enemy does not want us to load up our bag with stones. It, it's scared of, of what we'll do when we leave this trench. It's scared of what we'll do when we move from the sustaining into the abundance. The, the devil is scared of what we're going to do when we realize the power that we have. The mountains that will move when we begin to speak the name of Jesus. The strongholds that are going to break in cities and counties all around this area when we realize the potential that we have. So, there's been times in my life when I've been just like David's brothers, and yeah, I had the bread, and I had the parched corn from my father, and I was being sustained, but at the end of the day, you know what I really needed? I needed somebody who could throw a stone. At the end of the day, I really needed someone that knew how to sling, all right? And what am I saying when I say that? I'm not meaning literally. I'm meaning someone that knows how to pray for church we're all in this together we need our brothers and sisters to know how to pray for us to know how to important for us to be unity.